0: Yes, for
1: there is nothing else. They come along quietly or not. You can have all the talent in the world and never get anywhere. So a hope we'll let you bite
2: And now, without further ado, come loud
0: Okay, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Planet Shivers podcast. I'm Albert Shivers and I'm here with Isaac Wilson on sound. And our special guest today is just unbelievable artist. You see his work, he blows you away. Doug Gilbert, thanks for doing the show.
1: Thank you, Albert. Glad to be
0: here. So I guess we'll just jump right into it. And um, how did you, what made you start off in art?
1: Well, art, art has always been, I mean, drawing has always been part of my, my life. So I can't remember when um, I started drawing. I, mean, I was four or five years old or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, it's always been an interest to me. I always had this desire to kind of make images on, on paper. Uh, there wasn't much art education in school. I, I grew up in Manhattan okay. uh, until I was eight years old. And there wasn't much i mean I don't, I don't remember any any encouragement really in the schools to okay. do that i mean i had there were a couple of art classes um but i did leave live near the museum the metropolitan museum of art and we used to go there quite a bit so i, I was exposed to art mm-hmm. from a very young age and in those days 1950s right. uh, people were not so worried about their kids and I was actually allowed to go to the museum by myself at six and seven years old. So i you know go out of the house, go down the elevator, out across, uh, across Park and Madison, across Fifth uh-huh. avenue, into the museum, just wander around. Um, and uh, the paintings there were always fascinating to me. Uh, in those days, there was no modern art there. Okay. And that had no modern art. Hmm. <laughs> it was all uh, Renaissance art, uh, you know, early, early art and art from, you know, archaeological art. Uh, but it always it always energized me. It's always interesting. I was, you know, studied it and, and and looked at it.
0: Would you say that that is what pushed you to to start being creative and artistic or were you were you that way before and seeing the art at the museum just sort of intensified
1: I've always felt it's, it's just part of my nature, and it's something even now after, you know, however many years I've been doing this, sixty year, almost mm-hmm. sixty years. Uh, I still don't know what really motivates me. It's just it's just something that I need to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it isn't 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 something I actually thought about. the only The only thing with art that I thought about, I remember there was a, there was kind of a moment when I was seventeen. Uh, and I was out in San Francisco, uh, under some odd circumstances, and I just uh, there was something that just came over me and said, "I'm going to be an artist." So it was kind of that was kind of a moment of of deciding that was going to be a profession, mm-hmm. you know, something serious, a main a main uh, you know drive of my life, rather than something I just did all the time.
0: So were you in San Francisco, like? During the boom, like of that, like late '60s, early yeah, '70s. That was, that was
1: '67. Okay. That was 1967. So at that time, I mean, one of the most one of the most influential things in my art uh, occurred at that time because in in San Francisco and Berkeley, hmm. at that time there were posters, psychedelic right. posters, and I just love those things. I just mm-hmm. love that. So I started trying to kind of do that kind of artwork. Mm-hmm. And I could, never, I could never really wrap my head around it. I could, never, I could never make something that looked like that. It was always some kind of weird, uh-huh. <laughs> weird, odd variation on it. Um, I wasn't much into, into posterizing, you know, doing advertising or, or anything like that. The lettering wasn't that interesting other than the way it was drawn. Mm-hmm. But all that curvilinear stuff, all of the kind of energetic... Drippy, all of that kind of thing. Those kinds of forms, just, just, I just loved them, and I really wanted to be able to paint like that. Uh, cool. So that was that was a major influence uh, in my life. Hmm. Were you ever able to? Did you have you ever
0: done poster art since then? I
1: I never I never did. I mean it, it didn't it didn't interest me as a as a kind of a, a living or a, a way of, of doing that. It was just mm-hmm. it was just an, a, a, a formal formal um, inspiration Gotcha. you know just, I just like the shapes <laughs> and so when I started doing my own painting um, you know that was kind of the kind of the way I went but yeah at the, at really I mean at that time I was doing drafting and most of the stuff I did in high school was drafting I was designing cars I was designing airplanes like really tight pencil work Mm-hmm. Um, you know that kind of illustrations and that kind of thing. Um, I spent a lot of time doing that. I guess I, I guess I like to draw the things that I wanted to own. Gotcha. You know that was just some way of. You know, I drew drum sets before I had a drum set. You know mm-hmm. I just wanted to play drums. I played drums all my life. And you know before before I had drum set, I was drawing pictures of drum sets. Mm-hmm. So, you know this is like, kind of the goal. This is what right. I wanted. You know, and I could kind of have it if I drew it. Uh
0: huh. You know? Gotcha. So what was your first move into making art your profession?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I was in school, in college. And I mean, in high school, it was all drafting. And in college, um, I, I was taking art classes um, right off the bat. I, I was actually in engineering to start off. I was going to be in aerospace engineering because I wanted to design airplanes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, flying has always been an interest to me. Um, but that didn't work out for me. My, it just wasn't my temperament. Uh, gotcha. I wasn't very good in math. <laughs> you know, it was just, it didn't work out. Um, so I wound up kind of at loose ends, and that's when I wound up going to San Francisco after my, my freshman, dropped out of my freshman year, went out to San Francisco, kind of hung out there trying to get my head together. Came back, and I, I, I kind of, you know, my mother didn't really encourage me to be an artist. Mm-hmm. You know, she wanted, to be, uh, be, ma- wanted me to be a professional person. So it took me till my senior year looking at my record and seeing that all of my other courses that I was saying, it was in journalism, I was in philosophy, all of those courses, you know, I was getting B's and C's and in all of my art classes I was getting A's. Mm-hmm. So in my senior year I said, oh, I I should be an art major. So I converted to art being an art major. I okay. spent my whole senior year in college just, just painting. Uh, so and that so sort I of graduated with a degree in art at the, you know ultimately, mm. uh, and that worked out. So, I mean at that point, I mean that was that was what I was doing. That's what I thought I was going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean I was I was a painter when I was in college. I mean I was a painter. You know, uh, but the reality was that uh, you know I had a, I, I wound up uh, getting married and mm. having a child at twenty years old and having to make a living, and, you know, when I came out of school, I, I went to work, the only place I could find work was at an art supply store, so I was selling art supplies, right. you know, instead of paintings, um, and even right from the beginning, I mean, even this we're talking 1969, 1970, being before I graduated, graduated in 71, I, I was doing abstract artwork, mm-hmm. and so even at that point, I mean, I was not doing anything that was... Um, Really saleable, not easily saleable. Okay. So it was a, it, that was a rough road. So I had to find some other things to do. So I got into the technical illustration. That's okay. A profession.
0: What does that entail?
1: Uh, it's textbooks. Oh, illustrating okay. textbooks. Wow. So that's what I did. I did that for fifteen years, and uh, through the first part of my career there, I was all by hand. Mm-hmm. I was all with rapidograph pens and French curves, and. You do the drawings on mylar, you do the color separations, mm-hmm. and you know, they printed the chemistry textbooks, physics textbooks, all the little diagrams. Right. They ran all those textbooks, even all the math diagrams, all those ones with the curves, uh-huh. those were all done by hand. Those wow. were, you know, they were done, you plot the formula, you do mm-hmm. a layout on tissue, you plot the formula, put your mylar on top, and you trace with ink and get your final result. You paste, paste on all the little numbers and letters and arrows and all the little symbols. Um, so I did that for, for a while and then the computer came along, mm-hmm. uh, computer graphics started to, to come of age and then I got into the computer graphics side of things at this company I worked for in Boston. I lived in Boston, I was up there 18 years. Mm. Um, and so I kind of migrated into the computer side of things and, and I, my, my fine artwork I did as this, my private profession. Mm-hmm. and the computer stuff I started doing just to, to make money, because you made better money as, as a computer person than you did as a graphic artist. Mm-hmm.
0: Was it a big jump for you to go from doing those diagrams by hand then onto the computer?
1: Uh, no, I didn't find that difficult. <laughs> I mean, I learned programming. I mean, I had, I, you know, I had a facility for programming and the computer. I had a feel for the computer, so I had no problem with the computer. Um, you know, the technical side of things, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was, you know, it was like puzzle solving mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I like puzzle solving. So, so that was, that was, it was good. It, it was fine. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't what my life was about mm-hmm. and I never felt that that job, any job that, you know, that I, that earned money was really what my life was about. It was just a way of earning money, meeting my responsibilities, you know, supporting my family, raising my kids mm-hmm. and, and so on. Uh, but painting has always been what I considered what I do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know. It's it's the thing that, that 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 I try to to I think of legacy. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's what I hope my life was was mostly about. Gotcha. I mean I have wonderful children two wonderful children and certainly being a father is, you know, an important thing. Mm-hmm. It's been a very important thing, being a husband. So I could never go that route of just being you know, solo artist completely obsessed with art and, you know, not having private life or having a very difficult private life. I, I put a lot of stock in, in being a good husband, being a good father and being, just being good, a good human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've spent a lot of my life doing that and art, art kind of dovetails with that. You know, it's, it's, it's helpful in that regard, uh, I've found. Uh, because you have to see yourself I mean there, there's it's it's an exercise in self-observation really when it comes down to it and uh, if you want to I've always felt that if you want to do real art, honest art uh, that you need to to see everything have no blinders on you know understand who you are completely and in order to understand who you are completely, I felt that spiritual work, meditation, and, and that kind of practice was required. So that's always been the integral part. It's always been the underlying part mm-hmm. of the way I do art. You know, art is a manifestation. It's not, a, it's not an end in itself. It's a process. It's something that, that you bring yourself to but it's not something that creates you, hmm. you know?
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. Hmm. So how I'd like to like, maybe hear you go into that even a little bit more hmm. of, did you notice a change in your work in terms of art? Um, when you started to implement those practices? of like meditation and, and, or when you came to that particular realization?
1: No, I think it was, it was a pretty gradual process because I think, I think art was a kind of meditation for me even before I got involved in, in, in the group work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I joined groups that, that did that and learned, learned practices and whatever. Uh, so it wasn't kind of a solo uh, thing, I've always had a teacher. Uh, right back to 73 so that's two years after I came out of school I got mm. involved in that so there really wasn't a period gotcha. there wasn't much of a period where I was doing art before meditation and doing art after it. Uh, and art was kind of a meditation even then it was a I could see it as a way of uh, exploring things that you couldn't see I mean that's that's why I'm an abstract artist you know I mean the world is, is a spectacularly beautiful place uh, but I've never felt the need to interpret it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, for me, for me, the landscape of art was the where was a place where you couldn't see something that had no visual representation. You know, there's no physical, visceral, visual representation of psychology, right, or the spiritual world, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to differentiate between them. I, I don't differentiate between them. I think they're seamless. But... Uh, the only way I could do that really was in this abstract way <clears throat> you know mm-hmm. to, to kind of produce forms that implied the existence of, of things that were not seen mm. so it's, I mean it's, it's a kind of a struggle because it's a whole process of understanding things right because um, I mean psych- psychology doesn't have any visual visual reference Right, so you have to have a vocabulary and you develop a vocabulary. <clears throat> but there's always a question, there's always been a question in my mind as to, as to how rigorous is this vocabulary. I mean, what is this vocabulary really communicating? Or does it communicate anything? I mean, even today I have, a, you know, quite a doubt about whether <laughs> whether anything, is, you know, meaningful is communicated through, through my painting. Um, but I keep at it
0: yeah we all have to <laughs> right. so, man, I had a question, and I just totally lost it. huh? Well, as you were coming up and starting on, I'll see if I can remember it later. Hmm. Um, were there artists that inspired you?
1: Yeah, very definitely. Um, when I finally did see um the work of the surrealists. Because, you know, kind of the, the, the psychedelic art and moving, you know, is, is related to surrealism mm-hmm. in, in, in many ways. You know, it's kind of an outgrowth of surrealism. It's kind of Art nouveau, you know, deco, all of that kind of mushed together um, the way it was practiced in San Francisco, anyway, at that time. Um, but when I saw the work of, of the abstract surrealists, Mm-hmm. I just lit up. I mean, for me, you know, when I first saw Kandinsky, it was just a mind-blowing experience for me. So, Kandinsky, Miro, mm-hmm. and then uh, a little later on, uh, it was Arshul Gorky. So, my 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 first wife's grandfather was friend was an artist, Berliuk, and he was friends with all of these other artists the Abstract Expressionists and the Surrealists in New York City. He lived in New York City in the, in the 30s, 20s, 30s, 40s. Wow, okay. And so uh, when I started dating in, in college, I started dating his granddaughter, and I'd go to his house. And uh, uh, he had died in 67, uh, and I started dating her in 68, 69. In so okay. I just missed him. Right. <laughs> I never met uh, the, the painter Berlioz. Um, But his work was everywhere in the house. But he also had work of all of these other artists because he traded with them, and there were paintings of theirs in the closets. I mean, they go into the closets and pull these paintings out. And Marshall Gorky was one of the pieces of artwork that hung in the living room. There's a little piece, you know, about about 16 by 20, that was hung in the living room. And I used to sit on the sofa there, and that, that painting, I mean, I couldn't take my eyes off that painting. I just, it was just riveting to me, and so you know, I mean, that's how I became exposed to those that whole family of artists, you know, Mm -hmm. the 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 surreal, the abstract surrealists, and so my practice really, my my whole process became. That became that, you know, that kind of, it kind of legitimized it for me. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was doing it anyway, you know, you kind of go into a state and you just kind of use automatic writing or whatever, you know, it's this this automatic process where the forms come out uh, without any kind of uh, preconception. Right? There's there's no intellectual component. Right? Leave out the intellectual stuff. uh, And you try and find some other place where these forms can come from. Uh, So that's that's a whole process. Meditation practices, you know, obviously help that. Uh, but those guys were doing that that's where Mm -hmm. that stuff was coming from they were all doing that same kind of thing so that that was my family I mean you know to this day I still although Marshall Gorky's uh you know life was very different than mine and and uh, you know he you know a lot of the the formal elements were things from his life they were kind of elements of his life um I still feel that he is he was like my most kindred spirit <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know in the art world so I mean mm-hmm. I, I love his paintings more than any any other artist that I've ever seen
0: So when did you start um, like having your art out there in galleries and and, and maybe make making some money off of your paintings
1: Well uh, I had my first group show in 1969. So I was still in college Mm. Uh, but I was I was dating uh, Ginny Girl Duke and um, obviously they had connections with galleries and her mother's best friend ran a gallery in Cold Spring Harbor on Long Island Mm -hmm. and so she offered me uh, an opportunity to to show a painting or two in one of the group shows and that was my first group show Uh, you know it didn't sell but I didn't, I didn't show a lot. I was, I was very shy. Hmm. I mean, a, a very, very shy person uh, growing up and very insecure about my work. And so I really made, I, I was unable really to promote my work hmm. for most of my life. I mean, it's, you know, it was just something that when opportunity came, you know, I would seize on it. But I just I never peddled my art. I never went from gallery to gallery mm-hmm. trying to show it. Um, I I was just too, a little insecure about. It. I mean I'm much better now. I you know if I go around and I'm going to galleries, you know I'm I'm quick to pull out my phone saying you know here's blah 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 right. and show stuff. I mean, I've showed over the years. I mean, I've, ha- I've had shows, you know, 71. I was out in Wenatchee, Washington, and I had a big, sh- a big uh, show at a bank out in w- at Wenatchee, Washington. I was doing this a whole bunch of canvases all rolled up there that were they were unstretched canvases uh, that I did out there, big, larger ones. Mm. And, and, you know, just occasionally would have shows. Some of them were, were bigger than others. Um, and I've sold pieces over the years. You know, I've gotten, gotten, you know, a thousand. 000, a couple of thousand bucks for pieces of artwork over the years, mm. here and there, right. now and again, somebody gets uh, turned on by it and is willing to spring right. for it. But uh, I I resign myself to the idea that it's it's really, you know, my my work is is very like uh, you know John Coltrane's jazz. Okay, it's going to have a limited audience because it's not something that, if you have no exposure to art, you can't walk up to it and get much from it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that, that you need to be tuned to. You need to, to kind of sensitize yourself to certain kinds of shapes and colors and movement uh, so that you begin to recognize and, and have it resonate you know I mean a landscape is very easy because everybody resonates with nature. So if you paint something from nature that's recognizable, it can be appreciated on many levels. Somebody who has no art bra- background at all can appreciate that you know they recognize trees and they recognize houses and lakes and, and all of these things and they don't have to go past that. They can get pleasure from that because it reminds them of the, what they see and they, they already have emotional, Emotional hooks, emotional sensors, to that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. My work has no there's no reference point for them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? You you, you want to walk up to it and you want to find something in it that you recognize, right? But Kandinsky was, in his in his writing made it his his whole exercise in his painting was to create forms that were not recognizable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You could not associate them with anything in nature, and yet, you get an emotional kick. Why? Hmm. I went to the MoMA one time. There were three Kandinsky's hanging in the lobby. That tall, tall paintings, skinny paintings, about six feet high, each one maybe, foot and a half wide. I went up to one of them And I was standing, I don't know, three feet away, and I was looking at an area, maybe a foot square, and there was some, just some shapes drawn, right?
2: Hmm.
1: And I began to cry.
2: Hmm.
1: I mean, there was something so exquisite in that, what he had painted, that it overwhelmed me. Hmm. Inexplicable.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and what else could yeah. what else could do that in that way?
1: Uh, you know, wow. So it's it's possible. I mean, these things are possible, but it, obviously, it's not for everybody. It's not something that's not something that's going to happen for somebody who's never seen abstract art before or seen very little of it. Um, you know, for that to to be able to pull that out uh, mm-hmm. of a, of a, an abstract painting.
0: Mm-hmm. So, going from abstract painting, we're sitting here in your studio, our first on-location episode, um, so bringing it up to the present, um, what kind of things are you working on now? What inspires you now? Has, or has it even changed?
1: Well, the effort the effort is the same. I mean, my purpose is the same. Mm-hmm. When I stand up in front of a canvas, blank canvas, I'm still... Working in the same process, I simply empty myself. I try, I mean, I try to, I just have no thoughts about what's going to happen. I don't try to anticipate it. Um, you know, one of the, the things I, I learned long ago, read read one artist said, you know, copying, copying yourself is, is the end of, of your art. Mm. And I, I've been very rigorous in that. I I took that to heart. That was something that just resonated with me and I said, okay, I'm never going to copy myself. And so when I stand up to a painting, I try not to have any kind of preconception about what's going to happen. There are limits to that because you need to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, depending on the technique, there'd be more or less... um, starting points. So the paintings I'm doing now are, are on unprimed canvas. Okay. And I start with uh, a stain. So I'll, I'll soak the canvas down. I use a water tension breaker, which makes the color bleed out a lot so I get a, a soft look. And I'll work on the floor with big paintings like this. Okay. And I'll just start putting color. but. You know, you have to make a choice. Okay, what color are we going to start with? Mm-hmm. Right? Already you've made a choice. But I'm not going to... I, I don't come in and say, okay, I'm going to make a blue painting today or I'm going to make a red painting today or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'll choose it at the moment. I'll look at the palette. I'll look at the, at the painting. Whatever color pops into my mind, say, okay, that's where I'm going to start. But I have to, you know, I'm, I'm starting with the background. I know I'm starting with the background. I'm not starting with a drawing. So choices have to be made. I mean, over the years, I've, I've, I've approached my work in, in a lot of different ways. And I'm not bound to any particular way. Some days I'll start with a drawing. So I'll take a canvas and I'll take my little squeeze bottle of black paint and I'll wet the canvas down and, and I'll just start drawing with the bottle. So I'll do a drawing. It's the same way I would take a piece of paper and work with a marker or a pencil Mm -hmm. Uh, and then other times I'll just take a brush with you know a bigger brush and I'll just go to my palette and I'll just start putting blocks just areas of color on so there's no drawing to start with a drawing you start with blocks of color Mm
2: -hmm.
1: right or in this case I start with a background and I'll start throwing paint on there right all those things are or paint there. I just flail away. I just get my hands in my palette and get mm. all covered with water and paint. and just start splashing colors in different places. Mm-hmm. So I get this, you know, kind of energetic field. It's almost like a, you know, my quantum field, right? My underlying, my underlying energy field mm-hmm. uh, into which I can draw. So things happen dots happen things shapes form there are masses that form there are color areas that bleed out and form and it's impossible to to ignore them mm-hmm. so they do become integrated into the into the drawing so there's a certain amount of randomness in that so i have to make choices in that regard to how much randomness how much accident do i want in my work and how much intent do i want in my work
2: mm-hmm.
1: So there's a balance between those two. And I try not to go too much towards the accidental because it's just not the way I work. I mean, mm-hmm. many artists, you know, they are abstract artists in particular, will, will rely on the accident. They'll rely on the properties of the paint. Mm-hmm. You know, how it flows, how it, how it bleeds, um, th- those kinds of things that are accidental features. And, and, and that's, that's fine, that's a way of working I mean, it's a way of revealing truth, right? Because accident, there's no really, in my mind, there's no such thing as accident. Okay. So, whatever happens, if it happens accidentally, it's really intended by greater reality. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. So, there's some validity in that, yes. But to me, it, it comes out uh, too um, not human enough. I mean, I want my stuff to be universal, but I also want it to be human universal. Because the human being, to me, is, is fully and totally integrated into the whole. The distinctions we make about ourselves are really imaginary. Imaginary. You know, they're, they're tricks of perception. So that's, so that you know, that's the arena, right? That's the <laughs> arena I like to, I love to work in.
0: Learning, I guess, an artist process can help me to appreciate and understand their pieces. Mm. And not to say that I didn't before, but learning that process and being in arts too is always very interesting to me about how we're all on a similar path of creating something from ourselves that's meaningful. And that's always very interesting to me. Do you, um, you mentioned Coltrane before. Do mm. you play music while mm. you're doing art? Do you have music playing or do you just work in silence? Never. silence.
1: Okay. I find I, I'm very sensitive to music and I, I, can't, I can't not listen to it when it's playing. So it would draw off so much energy that I'd be really be unable to to paint. I mean, I have to have a hundred percent of myself in a painting. You know, when I start a painting and I work on a painting, three or four hours, I'll feel like I'm just I, I can't do anymore. I, mean, mm-hmm. I, I I just I'm I'm done. I'm I'm drained. Right? I get that like, this weird feeling that mm-hmm. I'm. That, that i I just I'm not even whole anymore, you know it's a strange feeling, but I have to stop and then I have to go back and work on it. you know I can't just work on something for that for a long period of time, so yeah. my out my, you know my output you know I don't crank out that much work, I don't do that much work yeah. on the whole i mean I've been painting for well seventeen that's what is it fifty two years um uh, and then I don't have the number of, I don't have that many paintings maybe maybe a thousand paintings a couple of thousand paintings mm. over 52 years Brodieu painted between 20 and 30,000 paintings mm. in his lifetime <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so I mean that guy cranked out yes he did um, and I guess that's the reason why I mean I just you know it's it, I can't work that many hours on it it's it just it's so so mm-hmm. draining for me it's so strenuous for me somehow It's mm-hmm. like psychologically
0: well I could I mean, just knowing what I've seen of yours what that tells me is just the amount of care you put into each piece mm-hmm. that does show and you know I, I think about it in terms of quality rather than quantity and so, so
1: yeah thank you for that <laughs> no no <laughs> definitely
0: so now what kind of um, mainly? Like, what kind of paints do you use? Okay, yes, so
1: I'm an acrylic painter. Okay. I mean, when I was in school, I painted with oils. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, that's and any real artist used oil colors, and that was there was a bias, right? Especially in the in the 60s and 70s when acrylic paint was just becoming popular. Uh, a lot of the color field painters used acrylic paint because you know you could you could work on bare canvas and you needed stain. If you stain if you stain a canvas with uh, oil color, mm-hmm. uh, fifty years later it's it's just going to come apart. The oil okay. will eventually eat the canvas. So you you can't work on an unprimed canvas with oil.
2: Okay.
1: Yeah. So, you know, so the Color Field painters in New York, uh, you know, turned to acrylics, and they were brand new in the fifties. You know, when they started using them. Mm-hmm. My my. I work very fast. I like to work very quickly because I work intuitively. I like to work very quickly. Um, some of my earlier works, um, I've got layers and layers of glaze. They're really quite thick, mm-hmm. you know, glossy, thick uh, applications of paint. And the only way to do that in any kind of reasonable amount of time uh, to, to do a lot of glazing was to use uh, you know water-based medium that would dry quickly. I even, I even use a hair dryer. I have a hair dryer. The acrylic paints aren't even fast enough for me. <laughs> like to put a glaze down, dry it with the hair dryer, put another glaze. Mm. You know, and work quickly. and I discovered this box, which is the most wonderful thing. Not to advertise a product, but a <laughs> Mastercraft or whatever it is, it has uh. a little box that you put your palette in. Okay. And, and you can close it airtight. Oh wow! And hmm. man, it saved me a fortune. I could imagine. I got I can put out a palette of paint and it'll last me mm. 2 or 3 weeks. that's, that's really <laughs> Instead cool. Instead of one day. Yeah, and No, I, have I to put out new paint every day. Yeah, I didn't and the know other about advantage that. Is if I want to if I want to spend 5 minutes painting or 10 minutes painting, I got a little like a little thing in it so I, I look at my you know I have my door open and I look at my paintings all the time as I walk into my uh, my little office there. Okay. So I'm constantly assessing a painting that's on on the easel. Mhm. Uh, and I walk by it and I'll look at it and then I'll go and do something and come back and I'll look at it and, you know, then it'll it'll say oh, something's needed up here and I'll say, okay, I know what I need to do. And I'll come in, now I can just pop the cover off and paint,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? It's been 15 minutes setting up a palette and starting to right. paint, doing all this stuff. So that's great, anyway.
0: I um, have been working <laughs> the past couple of days on a mural project in acrylics mm-hmm. and I've been going through paint.
1: Now I don't have to. It doesn't hold much. I mean, you know, obviously if I'm doing a large painting like this, um, you know, I'll, I can use up the paints. Right. But to me, I mean, you can just keep squeezing stuff out and they stay dry. Even the areas where you mixed color, the thin layers, mm-hmm. the special paper that you use in there, palette, special palette paper. Right. And even the little mixed areas where they're very thin, they're still wet when you go back. So then, anyway, that was that was a little bit about how i interact with the paintings over time because uh, you know i'll i'll do a painting it doesn't matter what size it is i'll usually get it to a a, a point where it's it's structurally mostly composed and it's there mm-hmm. so i know what it is that i'm working on uh, within two or three hours Okay. But sometimes I'll have it on, on, on my easel for three or four weeks. And I'll tweak it, I'll do this. Mm-hmm. Because it's I, I, a weird phenomenon that I've discovered. There are paintings that I'll start and I'll get to a point where they're not done. Clearly they're not done. And I don't know what to do. I, I don't understand the painting. So I don't know where to go with it. And I can sit and I can stare at it and stare at it and stare at it, and I just don't know what to do with it. So sometimes I'll have to set them aside. And sometimes I'll start another piece and I'll work on smaller pieces and I'll, you know, I'll kind of come back. But there's that's that process of looking at it. I have to look at it until I understand it. And then one day I'll, look, I'll come in and I'll sit down and I'll look at it and... Right away, I know exactly what to do.
2: Mm.
1: So it's almost like I have to grow into the piece, which is the wonderful thing. I mean, for me, when I start a painting, I want to see something I've never seen before.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a process of complete discovery. Right? I want to be surprised by what's there. hmm so, there's this weird balance of, of kind of understanding what's there, but not understanding what's there. Has a painting of yours ever.
0: Because, um, well, prefaces with this is that, um, again, I can relate in terms of learning to not rush a piece of art. Hmm. You know, I will put something aside rather than rush it and not be super happy with it. And I have gone back to things. Um, was there any time when you clearly knew at the beginning of a piece your direction? Or is it is it always a journey?
1: It's funny. The, this piece here, uh, Axis, which my wife will not let me sell. Okay. <laughs> um. I mean, I did that piece in, in probably four or five hours and never went back to touch it. It was done. Mm. It came out completely whole, completely finished, and one of the better paintings I've done. So that is kind of a sign, Yeah. right? There, there are paintings, the paintings that I find the easiest to do are almost always the best paintings. Hmm. The ones I struggle with, some of them never come right. You know, and I'll just never be happy with them. I look at them, and I say, uh, just don't show it to me. <laughs> I don't want to see it.
2: Right.
1: You know, and oddly enough, I mean, I've got paintings that I did. You know, I'm never, I'm never really happy with a piece. I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of, when it's done, there. You know, I'm happy with it generally speaking. You know, uh, and I'm usually happy with parts of it more than other parts of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it always seems like a process. I still, I, I firmly believe that I'm still, I'm, I haven't done my best work yet. I mean, I'm turning seventy in September. <laughs> no, it's still and time. I haven't <laughs> done my best work yet. Mm-hmm. This is, this is. I always feel this is better. This is better than anything else I've done in the past. But sometimes it's funny. I go back and I look at a painting I did in, in the '80s or, or '90s or something. Right. And. I'll say boy that wasn't as bad as I thought <laughs> I actually like it better now right you know when I'm when I'm that kind of distance it isn't me anymore that did it you know right. so I'm, I'm not really criticizing myself when I'm looking at a piece this is kind of just an objective piece it's not really me right and from a more objective point of view it's not as bad as I, <laughs> <as> I remember <laughs> right gotcha gotcha so it's a, it's a weird relationship you have yeah with your own work yeah you
0: know. it definitely is <laughs> and um, just to wrap up where can people who are listening where can they find your work um, if they want to maybe buy a print or, or just look at other
1: things I have uh, I have some pieces on Sachi SachiArt.com okay, okay. Um, I've got a few pieces on Fine Art America I have a website mm. which has my email address on it so that they can contact me okay. so it's dgilbert.net www.dgilbert.net is it's my artistic website mm-hmm. and uh, I love to get email from anybody comments or anything cool and I do I do post on Facebook artwork of Doug Gilbert on Facebook okay. um, so I do post on Facebook I'm not a big Facebook person right. <laughs> I mean I, have, I do it in spurts you know gotcha uh, but you know there might be a month where I won't be on there at all <laughs> well, I'm glad I caught it you when you were on there it just eats I, I don't know it, uh, <laughs> I find it just eats my energy emotionally uh, yeah it's, it's yeah, I'm draining I'm not a social person mm-hmm. on the whole you know I mean I, you know, I can I can socialize and right. do small talk and all that stuff but it's uh, it's not something that I kind of seek out I don't need it it is
0: it's it makes you think it's a necessary evil. Mm. You know, it is a means to promote your yeah. work.
1: It's. I think it's 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 a false. It's a false euphoria, that you get, from. Um, people liking your work. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very dangerous for an artist to measure their value. And interpret what they're doing, or try and steer what they're doing, based on what people like.
2: Hmm.
1: So it's a real temptation, and I, I, I'm uh, subject to it too. I'm, I'm a victim of it, or, or you know, right. succumb to it also. You know, if I post a painting, right. you know, I keep checking back. <laughs> How many people like this painting? Right. Um, but in the end, you know, even if you know 150 people like it, um, it's it doesn't do anything for me. Mm-hmm. It it's something empty about that. Yeah. You know, so you, there has to be an interior interior criteria, interior criteria <laughs> uh, to measure what you're doing. You just have to be honest and stay with yourself. And I mean that that's from the beginning. I mean, that was the whole, that that may have been the original goad for me to get into spiritual work. Because, you know, it, I knew that I couldn't think my way into a good painting.
2: Mm.
1: I mean, from very early on, 16, 17 years old, I, I got interested in meditation when I was 16. I read Alan Watson, Zen meditation, but I didn't get mm. involved with anything until I was, until, um, what was I, 22 or 23 but the, I knew that in order to do honest work and to do universal work, right, I didn't want, to, I didn't want my paintings to be my personality. Mm-hmm. It wasn't interesting to me. You know, I didn't, I didn't feel the need to have myself on a canvas out there for people to say, yes, no, yes, no. Right. Right. Uh, there was something else. I wanted something else. I wanted not me on the canvas.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So how do you get not me on the canvas, right? So mm. that, that's the challenge right, for me, and I, I'm sure there's many artists that are that are engaged in the same enterprise.
0: Right.
1: Uh, so my my way of doing it was to learn how to be not me. Mm-hmm as a person, right? So right. you have to bring the universal, find the universal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, not to bring the God word into it, but, you know, there's, there's an element there. You want to kind of be able to kind of join yourself with something larger, mm-hmm. but not in a mental way, <laughs> right? right? It doesn't work if it's in your head. right? Something real has to happen to you, and it's going to change you. Right. It changes the way you see your life. It changes the way you see the world. You know that's that's the real part. So that's that's terrifying. Because you know not me is not me, mm-hmm. right? And you want to protect me. Right. <laughs> you know, it fights hard to be protected. Mm-hmm. Um, and our culture is just—I mean—it's just saturated with meanness. Yeah. You know, I mean, everybody, I think people are, there's so many, there's more people, you know, it's funny, the population, you don't think of it, but the number of people on the planet is so much larger now than there was when I was a kid.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Right? I mean, in New York City, there are probably only a couple of thousand practicing artists when I was, when I was, uh, you know, young Young person in mm. New York City in my in, my, in the fifties,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? There's probably a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. I mean, you know, A. C. Moore sells art supplies, so you know that it's something that that millions of people are doing, right? Right. So it's trying to make yourself unique. That whole drive. There's this thing of you know, trying not to be anonymous, trying to make yourself unique. Mm-hmm. Just focuses yourself. Focuses people back on themselves, and they try to try to be unique. So there's all kinds of effort to be, you know, a unique self.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, which sets me at odds to that in a sense, right? Because mm-hmm. my whole purpose is to be as ununique as possible. <laughs> it's <laughs> to be right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I want to be absorbed I I want to be just part of everything
0: It's and it's funny you bring up <clears throat> Alan Watts because we just both came into a whole like um, somebody made a whole collection of of his talks mm, that we're just starting that. to venture into Isaac slightly more than me I'm a little behind it but yeah we just started getting into that so it's,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean the, you know the, the it's very easy to read these things, practice a little stuff that kind of hint it's hinted at mm-hmm. and you go along and you do that for a little while, and then something else will come up and say, "Oh, this is interesting too' and you start reading about some other teacher you know you read b mm-hmm. Ramdas and you know or Muktananda or you know this is suddenly you do a little Hindu thing, or you little do a little Sufi thing, and you do a little uh, you know Zen thing, right. and and you get the impression that you're that you're actually learning something. But in my experience, and it's been quite a few years, you never get anywhere that way, right? Mm. Uh, it's you you never rise above a certain level because you've never committed yourself to getting a result. You've never committed yourself to actually changing yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to add it like a coat. Something that you can talk about. You know, something that you can imagine as part of you. Like a piece of clothing you put on. Right. But it isn't like that. Right? The real thing is your body changes. Mm-hmm. It's not the clothes anymore. Right? The clothes don't matter at all. It's what happens is the in- on the, uh, the interior side. Mm. Where the whole interior thing of your whole your whole interior changes, and the world doesn't look the same as it did before.
2: Mm.
1: It's it simply doesn't look the same when you look at it. It's not the same as when as before you started.
2: Mm.
1: You know what I mean? It's I did, not an yeah. idea that changes. Not yeah. the idea of what the world is that changes. Mm. It's actually the way you see it. Your wow. filters, your filters for what you see, change. Wow. And I'll tell you that hurts, and it's frightening, and you want to run away from it. and it's exactly the time when you got to stick with it. Hmm. Because when you want, you know if you let yourself run away from it, you stay the same hmm. you'll get to the end of your life, and you'll be the same person you were. When you started,
0: uh, what were you gonna say? I don't, yeah, you know, just like the whole like reality thing. It's all pretty much just hit or miss from like what an individual's like biological sort of senses mm-hmm. and work and interpret. But it's a you know everyone just has their own interpretation. It's not like the legit truth, so to speak. You know, we all have our own yeah. take on it. Yeah. 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 That's I mean <laughs>
1: that's what we are. We're filters. Yep. Yeah. So you want to change the filters? Wow! And the person that sees the most is the person that has the least filters. Mm. You know, how far is it possible for a human being to not have filters? I mean, you couldn't function if you didn't have filters. So some of the filters have to stay. Right. Right. But they don't have to dominate your life. Got off track there. (laughs) No, that's fine.
0: (laughs) No, that was that was that was amazing. I guess we'll end on that very big note. I'll um. Thank you again, Doug, for doing this. This was super, super cool. Um,
1: Thank you for uh, inviting me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Planet Shivers podcast. This production and others can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Archives.org. It can also be found with video content on the Albert Shivers YouTube channel. You can find even more content on Facebook at Albert Shivers Visual Artist and on Instagram at Albert Shivers. You can find Isaac Wilson's work on Instagram at wheninzen. That's when underscore in underscore zen. Thank you again for listening, and don't forget to like and subscribe.
1: (laughs) What is that creaking noise?